1: Back in 2016, the United States made an ambitious promise. By signing onto the Paris Climate Agreement, the U.S. joined nearly 200 countries. They had all agreed to try to slow down the pace of global warming. Looking back on that moment now, it all seems so hopeful.
0: His Excellency the Secretary of State of the United States of America.
1: Then-Secretary of State John Kerry He signed the climate agreement with his granddaughter in his lap to emphasize what was at stake. A 16-year-old from Tanzania gave a rosy speech declaring, the future is bright.
2: Thank you very much.
0: The last speaker for this signing ceremony.
1: And then, of all people, Leonardo DiCaprio gave a speech.
0: Our planet cannot be
3: saved unless we leave fossil fuels in the ground where they belong.
1: Leonardo, allow me to introduce you to Joe Manchin.
3: The last great hope for actual legislation. That would have a real impact on climate change. That plan just got tossed out by the Democratic senator from West Virginia.
1: Last week, after months of negotiations, Senator Manchin announced he wasn't comfortable with climate spending right now. Even though passing a big, ambitious bill, it may be the only way to reach Paris Agreement goals by the end of the decade.
3: After months of back and forth, Joe Manchin told Democratic leaders that he will not support the major climate provisions that are a key part of President Joe Biden's agenda.
1: It's worth emphasizing, a version of this climate legislation has been floating around Washington for a year now. Democrats have been trying to right-size it to fit Manchin's demands ever since he blew up the last version of this bill in December. Back then, the senator went on Fox News to explain.
0: If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a No. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do.
1: Looking at this appearance now, it's actually striking how, in some ways, Joe Manchin has been remarkably consistent. In December, he said he couldn't sign on to this bill because he was worried about the national debt and inflation. It's the same story now.
0: Where I'm at right now, the inflation that I was concerned about, it's not transitory, it's real, it's harming every West Virginian. It's making it almost difficult for them to continue, to go to their jobs, the cost of
3: gas. It's just been a, a very squirrely year with him, you know, questioning his motives, trying to figure out what he wants to do.
1: I got Slate's Jim Newell on the line to try to make sense of Mansion with me. Were these talks breaking down a surprise to you? No, it's not a surprise to anyone.
3: I think you could see, like, Chuck Schumer has been negotiating this mostly in private with Mansion. It has not been something where Schumer is getting everyone's expectations up really high and doing everything in public and saying it's going to happen. I mean, he knows that this could fall apart very quickly because he's been burned by Mansion before. And, you know, that appears to be exactly what happened to Get. So I don't think anyone is surprised I don't think it's fair also to call those who who tried, you know, suckers for even attempting it with Manchin. Because you gotta try something? You gotta try, I mean, this is the last big legislative opportunity on climate. So you had to kind of exhaust the avenue again, even if you thought you were dealing with a pretty slippery figure.
1: Today on the show, the leading theories for why Joe Manchin seems to be nuking climate change legislation again. And is there a way to fix this? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The big bill that Joe Manchin tanked last week, it wasn't just about climate change. It tied together a bunch of issues, but the whole thing was tailor-made to fit Senator Manchin's legislative appetite. Manchin
3: didn't say until really about March what he was willing to do. And he said, I want to do prescription drugs, tax increases, undoing the Trump tax cuts, and climate and energy. I mean, those were his kind of three pillars.
1: And when he said that, like, the other Senate Democrats were kind of like, "Okay, right,
3: yeah, they're like, let's go. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're they were always going to try to, you know, hopefully get him to agree with something, and then try to sneak on their other, you know, pet issues like the state and local tax deduction. But yeah, they were fine. If that's what he, all he was willing to do, then they could they could roll with that. The negotiations in earnest between Mansion and Schumer those have just been really a summer thing.
1: What did they look like? They were like going out to dinner. They were having beers. <laughs> What were what were these mono-on-mono <laughs> mono discussions looking like?
3: Yeah, they were just in the middle of the street doing shots, you know? Um, <laughs> no, they, it was mostly just Manchin going into Schumer's office and presumably them talking on the phone all the time, and they were very tight-lipped about it. And when they're, when they're tight-lipped about things, when there's not just rumors flying around everywhere, I mean, that is a good sign that things have gotten pretty serious because it's not just posturing or trying to get a leg up in the press. It's It's they're actually trying to to negotiate the fine points on
2: details.
1: We should just make it clear how crucial Joe Manchin's vote was because all of these things, the prescription drug stuff, the climate stuff, it was all going to be passed through reconciliation, meaning you have to do it with 51 votes. So you need every last Democrat on board, right? Yeah, you need every last Democrat on
3: board and you need you only get one of these reconciliation bills which can bypass a filibuster per year. So, I mean, part of the reason why they're doing it now is that their their ability to use this reconciliation bill, it ends in September at the end of the fiscal year.
1: So lay out for me exactly like how big was this going to be climate wise?
3: Sure. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what numbers Schumer and Manchin had gotten to by the end, but basically it looked like the climate portion, which had been stripped of some of the more um, punishments for polluters and things like that. But there were still a lot of carrots left in there for people to transition to clean energy. And that was coming down to, you know, three to four hundred billion dollars still, which is not nothing.
1: So like tax credits for solar panels and charging stations and things like that?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incentives for, you know, companies. It was trying to get companies to switch over to to cleaner energy forms. Um, Then there was on prescription drug pricing. This was tricky because this was an issue that uh, Kristen Sinema, the Arizona senator who's kind of alternated sometimes the villain role for Democrats on this bill uh, with Manchin, she had a problem with very aggressive Medicare negotiations with drug makers. So they worked out, Democrats worked out a deal with her that could cap the cost of certain drugs but wouldn't save as much money. Um, tax increases. One of them was this 15 percent global minimum tax, which is a big priority of the Biden administration. Basically, you're trying to get every country, every developed country to um, agree to a, a corporate minimum tax standard so that then one country can't cheat and then all companies would relocate there. So that was how they were hoping to you know, raise a lot of money for this package. And one of Manchin's priority was he really wanted there to be leftover money. You know, he didn't want every dollar spent to be matched by um, a, a dollar taken in from taxes.
1: He wants a rainy day fund.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, he wanted to pay down
3: the deficit. So they were hopefully gonna, you know, spend like, again, who knows where the numbers were at the end, but spend like 500 billion while raising a trillion. So then you could have 500 billion to pay down the deficit which is, you know, Manchin thought was very important, and especially to, to kind of take money out of the economy when there's so much inflation.
1: Manchin went on a local radio show to kind of explain his side of the story, how these negotiations
0: we the went south. To inflation. inflation is absolutely killing many, many people. They can't buy gasoline. They have a hard time buying groceries. Everything they buy and consume for their daily lives is a hardship to them. And can't we wait to make sure that we do nothing to add to that? And I can't make that decision.
1: And it was interesting to me to listen to him. It really sounds like what happened is last week the inflation numbers came out. They were high, 9.1 percent inflation. And at that point, Manchin just threw up his hands and was like, I can't do this. This is it's all too much. Did you listen to that? Did you hear how he was characterizing this? Yeah, I don't get
3: it because he's going kind of he has a cerebral style of talking where he's it's not, you know, here's my thesis and my three bullet points. It's, it's he's just kind of hopping around from thought to thought. Um, so you're not quite sure of what he was um, putting together. And I wish his office would help. You know, I, I've tried to just clarify with his office. Can you lay out for me specifically the policy objections? And they just don't respond. I, you know, I'm sorry if they have a problem with anything, but you guys should maybe clarify what exactly the problems were here.
1: <laughs> Jim Newell hit me up. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> You've been warned. Um, but he's been saying, I want to do these things because I'm worried about inflation. I want to raise taxes because I thought the Trump tax cuts were bad and there's too much money sloshing around the economy. And, you know, you can make up for that by taxing the wealthy and corporations. And now he sees a bad inflation report. and He says, We can't do this bill because inflation is so bad. It shows how kind of uh, how Chuck Schumer has been negotiating with Jell-O here a little bit.
1: Is there any evidence that a bill like this would make inflation worse? No. I mean, even even
3: some of the economists, you know, on the Democratic side, like um, Larry Summers. Former Obama economics advisor, Clinton treasury secretary, kind of despised by a lot of people on the left. But he was saying, you know, very early in the Obama administration that their first, you know, recovery package was going to lead to some more inflation. And he was pretty right about that. It's not it's not the cause of all of the inflation right now, which has more to do with the pandemic. But it did uh, accelerate it a little bit. But even he is saying, you know, this bill, this is about investments that you're offsetting with with uh, tax increases and everything. It's not going to have any effect on inflation. The, the idea was to make it counterinflationary just by, by raising so much extra beyond what you were willing to spend. And even if you think that, oh, maybe the, the tax side was all gimmicks that would be undone next, by the next Congress or whatever, you know, we're only talking about a few hundred billion dollars over 10 years here. That's not really going to do much to, to prices, Relative to if you look at, you know the recovery package last year, that was two trillion dollars being spent basically right away. That was obviously at higher inflation risks,
1: yeah, it's just a different scale. it's It's like injecting <laughs> its money straight into your veins versus, I don't know, like a much slower titrated dose,
3: yeah, yeah. it's I mean, it's it's a completely different nature,
1: so Joe Manchin is saying inflation is the reason why we can't have nice things here. But a lot of people have other theories for what's going on with Mansion here, and I'm wondering if we can explore them a little bit. One theory is just mansion he's bought and paid for by big coal. He comes from a coal state. He's made a lot of money off of fossil fuels, and that can't be ignored in terms of how he's steering a bill on climate. What do you make of that theory and what's the evidence for it?
3: I mean, when you read it, it's pretty ludicrous what his ties are. (laughs) You know, he he says he has his money in a blind trust, which, you know, whatever. But he, you know, he's making money from a coal company that he is a he started a a coal brokerage that he started and that his son currently owns. Like he made five hundred thousand dollars last year. He's made millions over the years.
1: So he's very personally invested in fossil fuels.
3: Yes. And he's the chair of energy and natural resources committee, which is, you know, like these are just big walking conflicts of interest. So I think a lot of people are just saying, oh, well, this is clear. He makes money from this. So that's why he won't do it. I don't think that's entirely what this is about. You know, I don't think he would have even entertained the thoughts if he was quite like that. And I also think that, you know, any bill, if he wanted to carve out anything, from regulation or from, you know, the threat that this bill poses, anything in West Virginia, Democrats would have made that happen. Like they could have made sure that his investments would, you know, soar to the the sky for the rest of time. Not that I think he ever even asked for this, but I I do think, you know, him as representing a coal state beyond just his his investments. Yeah. That's going to make him more reluctant to, to really shoot for the stars on, on climate policy.
1: Hmm. You have another theory for why Manchin has acted the way he has. I call it the it's just politics theory. (laughs) Can you explain why blocking this bill would be good for Joe Manchin politically?
3: Yeah. This is the explanation that makes the most sense to me, which is that he's looking at 2024 when I at first thought he wasn't going to run for reelection, but now I think he is. And his You know, after he killed the Build Back Better bill, like his job approval went up. It remains pretty high in West Virginia as a Democrat, where Joe Biden's is like, you know, negligible, like trace amounts of approval.
1: Hold it. So blocking Biden's agenda made his approval ratings, which are already pretty high, go up in West Virginia?
3: Yeah. I mean, he's Trump won like. I don't know exactly. It was around 65, 70, 75% in West Virginia. Um, this is Joe Biden's big signature thing, which even if it's pretty, it's not very menacing what it is, but the branding, you know, in West Virginia is that this is the Green New Deal. This is the uh, socialism. This is the way progressives want to change your way of life. He may just have decided, you know what? Um, not getting anything done here might be better for me. And not getting anything done, and being the very public guy who decided not to get anything done, might be better for me in uh, in 2024.
1: After the break, with Mansion seemingly unconcerned about climate change, what will Democrats do now? When Joe Manchin suggested he was going to be taking a pass on this climate bill, he seemed to give Democrats a choice. He said, hey, I'm still open to some of the smaller stuff in here, like a bill lowering prescription drug costs and beefing up the Affordable Care Act. And maybe I could even do that big climate bill, but only if the August inflation report looks a whole lot better. But Jim Newell says this choice is not much of a choice at all. Because passing any of these agenda items requires using the budget reconciliation process, and that has to be wrapped up in September. So to make sure they've got time to get everything done, the Democrats just settled.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's actually been pretty much decided now. Like Biden has weighed in on what he wants done. Um, they're gonna they're gonna choose door number A, which is basically the prescription drug reform, which will you know. It depends on the details of the final text, but will fulfill a promise Democrats have been making for 20 years. And then these um, extending these uh, enhanced Affordable Care Act subsidies, which is really a huge deal because those are going to expire, and and you know insurers were beginning to set rates late the summer that would really spike ahead of a, a election that Democrats are already like going to lose their shirt in. So that was really vital that they that they get that done. So those will be the two components. Of you know their their original three and a half trillion dollar or six trillion in Bernie Sanders' case vision, this is what's left.
1: It's gotten really shrunk down. It's a teeny weeny little bill now.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's at least it's something, you know. At least they're not just letting this reconciliation bill go to waste. But you know, I think um, you know if you're Chuck Schumer, you're like, okay, this is the the first time Joe Manchin has actually said he will vote for anything so far. Is this tiny bill? if we wait a month so he can see his little inflation report, which I don't know what he wants to see, then he could, you know, what if he comes back in September and says, actually, I don't want to do anything. I'm not voting for any bill. So I think they're so frustrated with him. And there's such a lack of trust now that Schumer and Biden, too, were just like, we have to
1: take what we can while he said he could do it. Does this all mean that the Democrats have kind of given up on Manchin? Yeah, a little bit. Can we talk about what Democrats' next steps are here? Like, I've heard that this week, President Biden may be considering declaring a national emergency when it comes to climate. Do we know what that would allow him to do?
3: You know, you have progressives and climate hawks in the House and Senate, you know, saying we really need to to go bold. I mean, the last time that's what Obama tried to do when when their bill failed. He did the, the clean power plan and then that didn't even like get to review with the Supreme Court. It was blocked so quickly. So it's really it's really not an adequate replacement, whatever you can do executive action, just because, I mean, one, yeah, the courts who are really feeling their oats these days, you know, could will find some way to strike it down. And then also just a new president will come into power. And and, you know, if it's a Republican in a couple of years, they'll just undo all of it.
1: It seems to me like Democrats are learning this Joe Manchin lesson right now at a pretty important time. There's a midterm election coming up. If if they ever had evidence that they needed to be aggressive, this is it.
3: Yeah. I mean, you definitely saw that throughout the primaries, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, especially John Fetterman, who's the Democratic Senate candidate there. He was really campaigning as I'll be the the anti-Mansion, the anti-Cinema, you know, we'll get rid of the filibuster. And, and now when we get to the general election, you are seeing Democrats, especially um, since the since the Dobbs decision, you are seeing them make the argument more explicitly, you know, give us two more votes in the Senate and we can do a lot more. And obviously this is very frustrating to a lot of Democratic voters who are like, I already voted, you already have control, you haven't done anything. But, you know, the math is the math. If you could get John Fetterman, if he could, you know, beat Dr. Oz, which, I mean, what a sentence there. And then, in you know, in Wisconsin, if you could beat Ron Johnson and you could hold elsewhere, in a lot of these places where they're pretty lousy Republican Senate candidates for such a good year, you know, you, you really could do a lot more if you had a little bit more of a buffer. That is the path to amending all this stuff. If, if they pulled a miracle and held on to the House and then did something, which I think they have a, an OK chance of doing, of keeping the Senate and expanding it, you know, then this wouldn't look like Democrats missed their last opportunity to, to do anything on climate. I mean, they could really get it done next time.
1: Jim Newell, thank you so much for straightening all this out. I'm grateful. Yep, thank you. Jim Newell is the senior politics writer at Slate. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, Madeline Ducharme, and Mary Wilson. We're getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Anna Rubinova. Joanne Levine and Alicia Montgomery lead the show, and I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter, say hello, I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'm going to hand things off to the What Next TVD crew for now, and I will catch you back here on Monday.
3: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,